0: Folks, Andy Patton here, the Zags are finally back in the blowout win column after beating Merrimack badly on Thursday evening. Now they have a super, super long break following the news that Sunday's game against Washington is canceled. We're going to talk about all about what that means for this team, if they should try to pick up another game, before discussing some Zags in the NBA to finish off the week all right here, locked on Zags. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to take you through another season of Gonzaga Hoops. Today's episode is brought to you by NetSuite. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. Head to NetSuite.com slash ncAA for special end-of-the-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. I want to thank all of you who make this show your first listen of the day and remind you all that we are officially live on YouTube. For those of you who have not checked it out yet, go to YouTube. Search Locked On Zags, hit that subscribe button. I sincerely appreciate it. The shows are fun. It's a fun way to engage with a new community of Zags fans, so I sincerely appreciate all of you who listen in one form or fashion, but feel free to hit the subscribe button on both the podcast and the YouTube. I can't tell you how much it means to me. All right, the Zags are back. I know that a win over the Merrimack Warriors, a team that has been at the Division I level for the same number of years that Anton Watson has been in college is not necessarily indicative of a team that has completely righted the ship, especially because many of the issues that Gonzaga fans have been concerned about with this team still cropped up in this game. But ultimately, Gonzaga secured a big-time win. We got to see Joe Few back on the floor. Will Graves hit a three. Martinez has played. All the stuff we like to see in games at the Kennel. So thankfully... That returned. Really fun game throughout. We're going to talk about the good and the bad from this game. The good really is just all of Gonzaga's post players. We'll go through them one by one. Drew Timmy had an outstanding night. Reminded everybody why he is a National Player of the Year contender. 22 points. 20 of those came in the first half. Only scored two in the second half primarily because Gonzaga started going to their other guards. Chet Holmgren had a big half and Drew Timmy sat for huge chunks of the second half because they afforded him the opportunity to do so. Timmy was 8-for-8 from the field. You cannot get more efficient than that. He did not miss a single shot. He did go 6-for-9 from the free-throw line as well. I think he only missed one in the first half, if I'm not mistaken, so a really, really efficient first half from Drew. Uh, They had him playing the soft spot in the zone, which is not something I thought he would do all that much. I kind of thought that role was going to be more reserved for Chet Holmgren. Neither Chet or Drew have been great at making entry passes this year. They've both shown flashes of being good at it, but they also have a turnover problem, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But I thought Chet would be more suited for that role. We saw Drew do it a lot. We saw Anton Watson do it a lot as well. Uh, But either way, I, I think Gonzaga's equipped to have any of their bigs be right there because they can handle the ball a little bit. They are pretty good decision makers. They need to work on firming up their passing a little bit, but it was nice to see the Zags try something different against that zone. And obviously Drew had an outstanding night, so it was hard, hard to argue with the results. Anton Watson was fantastic today. This is perhaps the best game that he has had in a Gonzaga uniform. He scored more points. He only had nine in this one, but he also had 10 rebounds. He had five assists. He had three steals. Really, really fantastic night for him. His floor vision was the best, the best on the team. Some of the best I've ever seen from a Gonzaga post, certainly. Some of the best I've ever seen, just period. He was—he knew where guys were going to be. He knew when they were going to make cuts. He read the floor really well. He he threaded the needle. He made great, great passes. He made a, a pass down the court to Drew Timmy for an easy bucket. He hit Julian on a cut to the basket at one point. A tremendous game from him. Obviously, we know he's going to be good on the defensive end of the floor. He has, even in his worst offensive games... Been a pillar for this team defensively. Now, the only times he hasn't been that is when he gets in foul trouble, which was a really big issue for him a couple weeks ago. He was better in the Alabama game. He was fantastic tonight. If he can continue to avoid picking up cheap fouls, some of them are questionable whether the referee should have called them or not, but some, he also has a tendency to reach down, to reach for guys who are driving and, and pick up cheap fouls that way. That's what I mean when I say that. And that is for a guy who's a junior, for a guy who has his sets his sights set on being a, a potential NBA defensive player, you just can't make those kinds of mistakes. Like he needs to resist the temptation to go for those kinds of things and pick up those cheap fouls. He has done that the last few games, and it's proven definitively the Zags are better when he's on the basketball court. I know there's been some grumbling about his lack of offense, and the fouls in particular kind of rose some of that to the surface, and I've seen some. People suggest that perhaps the Zags should play Ben Gregg more and Anton Watson less. Uh, I disagreed with that at the time, and now seeing this kind of game, it's so clear to me how valuable Anton Watson is. And speaking of offense, not only was he good at passing the basketball, he looked great scoring the basketball as well. He gets the ball in the paint. He he seems to only have like one post move. He gets the ball on the right block. He faked. Like he's going to go to the middle, he turns to the, the uh, sideline and puts up a little baby hook shot. He's, he, he's consistent with that one post move. He probably needs to get a little bit more in his bag if he wants to be a legitimate low post scorer. But the fact that he can pass the ball really well, the fact that he does have that move, and he's a quick decision maker. This is something Gonzaga Biggs have struggled with in the past they get the ball, they don't quite know what to do with it. They wait for a double team to come, or they just they pick up their dribble too early and they kind of freeze, and we see, we see this happen. I've seen this happen a lot with Gonzaga Bigs over the years, and Watson, while he's not a guy who gets the basketball every possession down like some of Gonzaga's other Bigs do, he is a guy who, when he gets the ball, he knows what he wants to do with it. And the fact that he can make a quick move and try to score or he can look to make a, a pass to a cutter is – Really tremendous skills from him for a guy that is lauded so much more for his defense than his offense for him to come out and play as aggressively as he has played this season on the offensive end of the floor. Be a passer. I Somebody in the broadcast, I think it was Richard Fox, mentioned that Watson's second on the team in assists. It's not Rasir Bolton. It's not Nolan Hickman. It's not Drew Timmy or Chet Holmgren. It is Anton Watson, second on the team in assists, and he comes out and picks up five more today. Really, really fantastic night from the junior from Spokane. And then Chet Holmgren, it's crazy to have Holmgren third on the list of players to highlight because he had 15 points, 15 rebounds, 4 blocks, and 3 assists. A remarkable game from Chet Holmgren in a remarkable season. A player that is just, for lack of a better word, remarkable. He has been outstanding the last few games in particular. Really, really nice performance here. His shot-blocking ability is still, I still marvel Watching it, even though we've we've gotten so used to it, (laughs) these guys they think we we always wonder why do they keep going at him? Why do they keep going on? Well, they think they beat him, they think they have gotten around him, and he has the ability to contort his body and still get his hands in a position where he can block the shots fluidly and smoothly without committing a foul. It is a skill that it may look like he's just doing it because he's so tall and he's so long, and that's how he gets away with it. Obviously, it helps. (laughs) There is no doubt about that but it is a legitimate skill that he can contort his body and move in ways where he can still effectively get to the ball and alter the shot without committing a foul it is a, re- a really really tremendous skill for him it's going to su- serve him extremely well in the NBA beyond that he hit two early threes in the second half gonzaga did not did not make a three in the first half it was a big struggle for them all game long he hit two quick ones. They were great shots. He, he put up a few more that were maybe not as great of shot selections, but that's okay. He still looked great. He actually only shot 6 for 12 from the field, which significantly lowers his field goal percentage on the season. It was not the most efficient game he's ever had, but I'm not going to complain about 15 points, 15 boards, 4 blocks, and a pair of threes from the 7-footer Chet Holmgren. Super great night from him. Uh, Gonzaga was great from the free throw line, 15 for 20 on the game, which is 75% at fell a little bit in the first half. I think they shot 14 for 16, if I'm not mistaken. So they only went one for four in the second half, but I'll still take 75% from this team. They shot 75% from the free throw line against Alabama. That's a much different result in that contest. The free throw shooting really killed them in that one. I already mentioned Drew Timmy, but Zags had a lot of other players who did really well from the free throw line. I don't think that they're going to—I think this is going to be an inconsistent spot for the Zags. They got a long layoff after this. Hopefully this is something they can try to address, but I don't think they're magically just going to be a 75-plus percent free-throw shooting team for the rest of the season. I wish I could tell you that they will, but it was encouraging to see them do it well in this game. And then Hunter Salas and Julian Strother both had nice games. I'd feel remiss. If I did not mention them, Hunter Salas had six points and six rebounds. He played really great minutes in the first half, he came in. He grabbed some aggressive rebounds. He looked tenacious on defense. I mentioned, I, th- I believe in a tweet, that Salas is kind of he fits a lot of what Gonzaga's problems are. He he's a solver for those issues. Two of their biggest problems against Alabama were unwillingness for the guards to try to go to the rim or try to move without the basketball. The guards were kind of stagnant all game long against Bama, and then defensively, they were really they allowed a lot of dribble penetration a ton of dribble penetration hunter salas fixes both of those problems he is long and super athletic defensively and is very good at stopping and preventing dribble penetration and offensively he moves extremely well without the basketball he's always moving he's a full-on energizer bunny so i could see why he got early minutes in this one gonzaga started off slow again it wasn't a great start for them we were kind of hoping to see them push that aside and get off to a big lead they didn't really do that and i think mark few was pretty quick to be like okay We don't want to get stagnant. We don't want to stall out on either end of the floor. So Hunter's a guy who can come in and kind of do things differently, like juice things up a little bit. I think that's what we saw out of him. He's not the reason that they came back and won this game necessarily, but he had a really nice night, and I think we're going to continue to see him potentially coming into games early in the first half if they get off to a slow start because I think he helps alleviate some of the concerns we've seen from this backcourt this season. Strother, 15 points mostly in the second half, also hit a pair of threes, also did a really good job of moving without the basketball a skill that he has started to improve upon as the season has gone on. Richard Fox mentioned it during the broadcast, the next evolution for Strother is to get better at drawing contact and getting to the free throw line. He's absolutely right. I think Strother averages less than three free free throw attempts per game. If he can improve upon that, he could be a legitimate 18 to 20 point per game scorer in a Gonzaga uniform. The bad stuff, we already alluded to it, the three-point shooting uh, was really ugly. I mean, the, the Zags, I've said this on this podcast before, I will say it again. The Zags are a bad three-point shooting team. When they have good nights or good weeks shooting the three, it does not mean that they are suddenly a good three-point shooting team. It means they are a bad three-point shooting team that had a good night. I know that it's a negative way to look at things, but I think it's easier for fans and for the coaching staff and the players, maybe not the players, but for the staff to kind of accept like, hey, this is not our strength. It is not going to be our strength. What Gonzaga did well in this game, they were 0-6 from 3 in the first half. Now, O is obviously bad. Six is not terrible. I don't hate that they only took six three-point attempts in the first half. They were winning pretty handily at the end of the first half because they just kept pounding the rock to Drew Timmy. Timmy had 20 in the first half. The Zags only took six threes. I'm okay with that. That is a recipe that works for me. Now, obviously, Gonzaga is going to run into teams in the NCAA tournament and also next Saturday against Texas Tech that are going to have a much better success rate stopping Drew Timmy. They're going to either prevent Gonzaga's guards from getting the ball to Drew Timmy, or they're going to shut him down in better ways than Merrimack was able to do. When that happens, Gonzaga's going to need to find other ways to rely on their offense. In this game, the only players who hit three-pointers were Julian Strother, who hit two, Chet Holmgren, who hit two, and Will Graves, who hit a very deep one in the last minute of the game. That is not sustainable. Nolan Hickman... Andrew Nampard, Rasier Bolton win a combined 0 for 11. Gonzaga loses a lot of basketball games if that is the if that is the case going forward. If those three guys combine to miss 11 threes and not connect on a single one, Gonzaga is going to run into some problems. Plain and simple, this needs to improve. I don't know that it will. They'll, they'll need to catch fire. They'll need to get hot. I, those guys certainly aren't going to go 0 for 11 every night, I guess I should say that. They're not going to be that bad, but they need to find some more consistency. Whether it's Having Chet or Julian take more shots, if that's the way they need to solve the three-point shooting problem is to get the guys who can shoot them to take more, that's fine. But they need to find a way to get better at that end of the floor because it's going to be an issue. We've already seen it be an issue in other games, and it's it, in the NCAA tournament, if you cannot shoot threes, you're going to lose. It's going to be a problem. So I want to see how Gonzaga figures out a way to fix this problem because we knew it was going to be a problem going into the season. The Dominic Harris injury did not help in that regard, and now we're looking at a team that can win because of their interior post presence, but hasn't demonstrated that they can win when that gets shut down. This game didn't do anything to alleviate any of those concerns, which is fine. It didn't need to. They still won by 25 points, but it's something that they're going to need to address. Same with turnovers. Turnovers have been a big issue for Gonzaga all season long. Now, turnovers, in part, can be attributed to youth. And youth gets, that, that gets ironed out as the season goes on. I suspect Gonzaga's turnover problems will get better as the year goes on. An interesting facet of their turnovers issue, though, is that it's mostly the bigs. Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren combined for eight of Gonzaga's 17 turnovers. Rasir Bolton, who's one of their veteran guys, had four. That's a little concerning. If it was a bunch of young guards turning the ball over a lot then I could say, okay, that's probably going to get better as the year goes on. But Nolan Hickman doesn't turn the ball over a lot. He had two in this game, which was an uncharacteristically rough night from him. But that he's not really part of the problem. Julian Strother's not really – he he turns the ball over a little bit, but he's not a huge part of that problem either. The problem is the bigs, and it's, it's the, the high-low entry pass they try to do very often. Obviously, it's a huge part of their offense. They turn the ball over a lot when they try to do that. They fumble the ball sometimes on catches. It's just stuff that they need to iron out. Bolton having four is is uncharacteristic. I don't think that's going to stick, but it is not ideal when you're you know one of your most veteran players is, is causing a lot of the problems in the turnover game. I do think this will get better, but it has it has been an issue all season long. And turning the ball over seventeen times. Now Merrimack, I mentioned this in my preview episode. They're a good defensive team and they're good at forcing turnovers. So it's not like they're the kind of team that is capable of doing this to you. Similar to what Tarleton State was. But still, you need to you need to take better care of the basketball if you want to win those big games. And then the last thing on the not-so-good areas, well, we just need to see a lot of the young guys. Uh, the ones we did see didn't play particularly well, that obviously Chet Holmgren and Hunter Salas are the exceptions to that. I mentioned it, Nolan Hickman had a bad night, and it happens. I don't think, to be clear, I don't think a freshman guard having a bad night on a night where the team won by 25 points and he got to play a lot of minutes is necessarily a bad thing. I don't, I'm not worried about Nolan Hickman. It does not concern me about his future playing time or his future skill level at this team at all. It probably, if anything, it helped him. He he went 0 for 5 from the field, 0 for 4 from 3, had two turnovers and one assist. A bad night for him. But he's going to learn from this because he has demonstrated so far in his Gonzaga career that he learns from stuff like this. He is a cerebral, intelligent player, and he will get better. I don't have any problem with Nolan Hickman having a bad game here, I'm not here to criticize him because I don't think it's warranted or fair to criticize a freshman guard for having a bad night in a, in a game where the, the team otherwise did really well. I hope he learns from it. I hope he continues to get better. I have no doubt that he will. And then Ben Gregg. Ben Gregg had a had a rough had a rough night. He didn't play very much. He played about 40 seconds in the first half. Gave up two very quick lay-ins. He's not he's not a good defensive player. He's that he's he's not there yet. He will get there. I'm very confident about that. I don't know that he's going to be an elite rim protector just because he doesn't necessarily have that size or that length. I've compared him to Killian Tilly in the past, and I think if he could get even close to as good as Killian Tilly was defensively, that would be a huge win for Gonzaga, but he is he's not there yet. Again, glad he got some minutes. Glad he got an opportunity to stretch his legs. He has not played in a while, but he, he showed why he's not not somebody who they're relying on for significant minutes yet this season. All right, the Zags have a long Long, long break coming up. Their bout with UW was canceled because of COVID reasons. We're going to talk about that in the second segment, what that means for this team going forward. Before we get there, though, let's talk about on location. Let's talk for a minute about kicking things up a notch for the big game, the grand stage, the Super Bowl. Super Bowl 56 at SoFi is less than 100 days away and on location, the official hospitality partner of the NFL, is the only place to score a once-in-a-lifetime Super Bowl ticket and experience package to the big game. Select your exact seats and choose from elite experiences featuring an exclusive pregame celebration with college stars turn-of NFL legends Troy Aikman, Marcus Allen, Tim Brown, and more, plus accommodations at five-star L.A. hotels and food by the great Wolfgang Puck. Visit onlocationexp.com SB56 for more information or search Super Bowl on Location. That's on location slash SB56, or search Super Bowl on location. Today's episode is also brought to, you, brought to you by NetSuite. This is it, the putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours, but on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software? To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system out there to power your company's growth. With visibility and control of your finances, inventory, HR needs, planning, budgeting, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow as a company all in one convenient location. NetSuite lets you automate your processes and close your books in no time while keeping you ahead of your competition. In fact, 93% of businesses surveyed increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite, and right now, through the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a one of a kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at NetSuite.com slash locked on NCAA. Head to NetSuite.com slash locked on NCAA for special end of year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. NetSuite.com slash locked on NCAA. All right, segment two. Still, Andy Patton still locked on Zags, moving away from discussing Gonzaga's win over the Merrimack Warriors because now the team's got a break. They no longer will play on Sunday at 2 p.m. against the University of Washington Huskies, a game that many were looking forward to. It was going to be in the kennel, it was the first time since 2019 because they did not play last year. Also, because of COVID, the Pac 12 canceled all of their non conference games in fear uh, because of the virus and all of the situations there now we're going to miss this game again. Washington had reported at least seven positive tests on the team. They have not gathered together to practice since the first of the month. They already had two games bagged. They were not able to play against Arizona. That game was canceled, I believe, with the intention of potentially playing it down the line. The game against UCLA, Washington forfeited. Probably okay if we're being honest. I don't think they were going to win that game against UCLA, and now we're not going to see them face Gonzaga. The report is that they're planning to make it up for next season, but they are not intending to try to play the game this season. So Gonzaga versus UW is not going to happen in the 21-22 season. So what does that mean? Well, it means that the Zags are off between the 10th, when you are listening to this most likely, and the 17th. No games. Nothing during that time. Their next game is on December 18th, next Saturday, against Texas Tech in Phoenix. A huge game game a game that will likely be against two ranked opponents as Texas Tech is playing very good basketball lately. They're probably going to be in the top 25. By the time that game rolls around, they're big, they're physical, they got a good front court, a tough matchup for Gonzaga. Would be nice if Gonzaga could get a tune-up game between now and then, an opportunity to try some new things, figure out some lineups. Mark Few has been experimenting more this year than I really ever remember him experimenting with lineups. That's the product of having a bunch of young players, but a bunch of very, very talented players and multi-positional players. You know, you can move around Julian Strother a lot. You can move around Hickman and Nempar. They can both play the one. You could potentially move Chet down. You can move Watson around a bit. They have a lot of flexibility with the players on the roster, a lot of youth, a lot of guys who have not played together. This is part of the challenge that they have faced this year, part of the reason the Tarleton State game went the way that it did, part of the reason they lost to Alabama. And now you have this huge gap of time where you need to fill it with something. I'm going to go on record right now as saying I would be very surprised if Gonzaga adds a game. Not because I don't think that they want to, although I think that some of the, some of the opponents that have been tossed out there as ideas are definitely not games that Gonzaga wants to pick up. But it's just, it's diff- most teams don't have the ability to add a game. To their schedule, it would have to be a team that has that ability, that has an extra game on their calendar, or that already had a game canceled. And I'll say this right now, they're not going to play Arizona this week. It is not going to happen. I don't see either side wanting to do that. Yes, it would be an awesome game. Do not get me wrong. It would be an in- ESPN would instantly pick that thing up. It would be a huge hype game. Few versus Lloyd. Two best teams on the West Coast. Sorry, UCLA, but Arizona looks as good as them right now. Super great game. Not going to happen. It's just, it's, they're not going to, they're not going to do this. First of all, Arizona still, I believe, still wants to play against Washington, so they don't want to add a game because that may put them up to the limit of how many games they can play in a season. I also think that Few and Lloyd, they canceled this game initially for a reason. They don't want to play each other. They're too close. They're too familiar. Tommy Lloyd knows every player on this roster, basically. It's just not a good idea. I saw somebody suggest Colorado State. I love Colorado State. I think it would be a really fun game. Colorado State is very good. They should be ranked in the top 25. Super fun team. They are they are off from the 11th to the 18th. They do have that time off. I don't see why either team would want to do that. Colorado State doesn't want to pick up a loss at this point in the year, and especially a loss where it's going to go down as a loss, uh, and they won't have been able to prepare adequately, so they probably won't even be at their best. Gonzaga, similarly, doesn't want to risk— You know, that's a good team. That's a team they could lose to. They don't want to risk that. They don't want to risk picking up a third loss when their team wasn't prepared for it, didn't have film on this team, wasn't ready for it. So I just don't think that that's going to happen. More regionally, I've seen a lot of names thrown out there obviously, Seattle U, Idaho, Montana, you know, all of the kind of small Eastern Washington, all of the smaller local schools. Again, I don't suspect many of them have room in their schedule to add a game. I didn't look at all of their schedules this week individually, but unless they also have the entire week off and have room to add a game in their schedule, I don't see why they're going to do it. And even if those things are true, I don't necessarily know that these teams are itching to go to Spokane and lose uh, to, to Gonzaga. It's just not really very appealing to them. The last one, Washington State. It's not going to happen. I'd be very surprised if it happened. Yes, Gonzaga should play Washington State every year. It's a crime that they don't. It's a crime, frankly, that Gonzaga canceled this series. We all kind of laughed at it at the time because Wazoo was really in the dumps as a basketball program, and Gonzaga kind of said, "Hey, we, this is not helping us, so we're just going to stop playing it." I mean, I get it. I sort of get it. But now Washington State looks good. Now UW looks very bad, and it just, it's just—it's a regional game. Two teams up, you know, less than barely an hour apart have this heated rivalry in most other sports. They should be playing each other in basketball. It's a bummer that this game has been canceled. Hopefully they will add it back onto the calendar. Are they going to add it in the next week? No, it's not going to happen. But I do think this is a game that should be back on the calendar, and this is a good excuse to talk about that. And then finally, I guess the last topic is just, is this good or bad? I think the general consensus is concern that this long of a break is bad for the Zags. They don't get to try out new things. They don't get to experiment with some of those lineups that they've been working on in these past few games. We saw, like I said, Hunter Salas coming in early in this game. We saw Anton Watson in a slightly different role where he was able to be more of a facilitator. We've seen them continue to tinker and kind of play around with some of this lineup stuff. And another game to do that before the big one against Texas Tech probably would be nice. I can understand the appeal of that. However, it's also nice to just get a little bit of a break. This team has played a ridiculous schedule this season. Obviously UCLA, Duke, Texas, Alabama is a murderer's row for extraordinarily good basketball teams, top 20 teams in the country. They played them all in a pretty rapid succession. Yes, the rest of their opponents may not look elite, but Tarleton State has is not a fun team to play by any stretch of the imagination. They got tech coming up. like this was a this was a challenging schedule. Also, as we've been talking about, this is a roster that hasn't quite come together yet. They're still figuring it out. Gonzaga fans were and are spoiled by last year's roster in particular where they came out and beat the tar out of Kansas in the opening game of the season. The Literally, the tip happened in the first game of the year and Jalen Suggs was throwing down dunks. The team was just, they just hit the ground running in a way that is so unusual. And yes, they had experienced guys like Corey Kispert and Joel Eiai and Drew Timmy, of course. And, and so they had some some guys who had been around and been familiar, but it was insane the way that that team hit the ground running. And a lot of people kind of expected that out of this team. And I, I understand that. I was a little guilty of it myself. A lot of new faces, a lot of new guys, people who haven't played together. It's understandable that they're still ironing out some of those kinks. And a week of just practice, of just dedicated practice in the gym, going up against yourselves, having timeouts, having the coach talk to you, explain things is probably not a bad thing. It's also less intense than game action. Yeah, I imagine Gonzaga Scrimmages probably get a little intense and they're facing some of the best players that they're ever going to face. Chet Holmgren has not guarded a better player this year than Drew Timmy. Drew Timmy has not guarded a better player this year than Chet Holmgren. It's nice to get those opportunities in practices, but it's also less intense than a game. It's less physically intense, it's less emotionally intense, it's less just like mentally tense in general. Like it's just it's easier. And so you get a chance to kind of relax, to breathe. You know, I, I'm imagining that they'll have a couple of lighter practices in a row to really let those legs kind of breathe a little bit. This has been a hard stretch. I don't think that's a bad thing. I understand the concern about rust. The, they not playing in ten days is hard. It's hard to then come out and play. You know, Gonzaga has had a challenge this season with. Playing Well, right at the start of games, it's not hard to imagine that they come out a little bit flat against tech because they haven't played in nine days. If they come out a little bit flat against tech tech could make them pay. That's the kind of team that could jump out to a 10-point lead in the first five minutes of the game because Gonzaga misses their first few shots, makes a few errant passes because they're just a little sluggish, a little rusty. So I understand that concern. The hope is that Mark Few and the staff would have them ready to play and also ready for like, hey, if that happens, if you are a little rusty, like shake it off. You know, don't don't have the wheels completely fall off. We've seen some, of Gonzaga, some Gonzaga players the season when they get behind they start it seems like they want to try to get the lead back as soon as possible so they rush threes or they rush shots that aren't good they, they just want to like kill the momentum and that's a, a learning curve that's kind of just a thing that young players in particular have to kind of you have to deal with being a little uncomfortable when the crowd's screaming and your team's losing and you feel that momentum going away from you we feel it as fans I know you have all felt this when Gonzaga you know gives up six points in a row and the other crowd's rocking and you just start to feel anxious. The players, I can't imagine how much stronger that emotion is for them when they're going through that. And so to coach them out of doing that is a really difficult thing. And again, Gonzaga was spoiled by having teams in the past that were really good at that. This year they have some guys who kind of get a little panicky. And so I think if we expect that maybe there's some rest against Texas Tech, and maybe that it won't be, I'm not saying it's a foregone conclusion. I'm saying going not 10 days off in a row and then playing a good team is hard. Hopefully they can maybe have coached a little bit on how to how to handle getting punched early and start rebounding responding to that so that they don't have a situation like they did against Alabama where the, by the time they finally started to to figure out how to play their game it was too late. All right, long break coming up for the Zags, but plenty of action still for the Zags in the NBA, including trade rumors about two-time All-Star Demontis Sabonis. We're going to discuss all of that in the final segment. Before we get there though, let's talk about Bill Bar. Bill bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, plain and simple. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Bill bar has nine delicious flavors, including some all-time favorites like raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, coconut, and my personal favorite, salted caramel. Of course, Bill bar is not only great tasting, they are healthy too. Most Bill bar flavors have 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, and only 4 grams of sugar. Nine amazing flavors, all tasty and all healthy. Go to BillBar.com and use promo code LOCK15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. That's builtbar.com, promo code LOCKED15, for 15% off your first order. All right, segment three, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags. Now we're going to start talking Zags in the NBA. we got not a lot of Gonzaga basketball to focus on for the next week, so we're going to kind of pivot a little bit, talk about some other stuff. The biggest news to hit the Zags in the NBA cycle this week is the news that the Indiana Pacers are considering tearing it down and trading some of their high-profile assets. That includes guard Karis Levert, that includes center Miles Turner, and of course, it includes two-time All-Star and former Gonzaga legend DeMontis Sabonis. It's not a foregone conclusion that the Pacers are going to trade Sabonis. He's not a particularly easy player to trade right now, but it is notable that they are considering doing it. They would obviously get a significant haul of either draft picks or young players or both uh, in a trade back for Sabonis. I don't know if they're going to look to trade both Turner and Sabonis. That's been a long time discussion in Indiana is those two players' ability to play well together. They play different styles. Turner's more of a back-to-the-basket scorer. He's more of a shot blocker. He's more of a rim protector. He's not as much of a guy who can play away from the rim the way Sabonis can. So I, it makes i think they fit together okay but they've had both of them have had their best nights when the other player is hurt so i think that that is somewhat telling on how they play with each other on the floor uh, jackson frank former gonzaga bulletin sports editor wrote a great article on indiana's misuse of sabonis you can find it on, on twitter it's fantastic so the pacers the last couple of years when he's been a back to back all-star they used him fantastic they they ran the offense through him they gave him the ball at the top of the key They let him make decisions on whether he's going to shoot, pass, drive to the basket, all of that stuff. They were really letting him play his style of basketball, letting him dictate the offense. And he proved more than capable of doing it. It's really hard to make the All-Star game in the NBA, and he did it twice. Now, new coach Rick Carlisle comes in. Obviously, he's had a ton of success at Dallas. And Carlisle tries to implement the same offense that they ran at Dallas, which involved a lot of five-out stuff. So players kind of being buried around the three-point line not a lot of guys under the basket, not a lot of the guys in the middle, and then kind of just running a lot of iso ball off that. It worked with Luka Doncic. It does not work. With the Pacers roster. They have a lot of average guards who aren't able to do that. What it has done for Sabonis is kind of done what he was doing as a rookie for Oklahoma City, for those of you who remember this, is just standing in the corner and waiting for a pass to shoot a three pointer. This is not what Devonta Sabonis is good at. He is a he's a below average three point shooter. He he's, I think he's under 30% for the season. He's just not that good at it. He's very good at basically every other part. Of basketball. He's not a great defensive player, but he's okay on that end of the floor. He's great offensively at everything except shooting threes, and that's what Indiana's offense kind of is asking him to do. Now he's still putting up good numbers this year. His numbers actually look pretty similar to his first All-Star season. So it's not like his overall performance has dropped all that dramatically, but his usage is is poor. It's it's not the way he should be being utilized. And now that he's being looked to trade, It would be really great if he could get into an offense that wants to utilize him the correct way. For me, I'm biased. I've said this multiple times on this show. I am a Portland Trailblazers fan. Getting Sabonis in a Blazers uniform would be incredible, not just for me, as a fan for most Portland fans because they're very familiar with his father, Arvidas Sabonis, who played eight seasons in the NBA, all with the Portland Trailblazers. I don't know that it's a great fit. To be honest, Uh, Portland needs post-players but they, don't, they 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 need Miles Turner. Miles Turner, the other player the Pacers are looking to trade, would actually be a great fit in Portland. Sabonis, not so much. You could do a trade that involves Yusuf Nurkic, maybe one of the younger players in the Little, somebody like that, to potentially get Sabonis. I don't think they will do that. I don't think that he fits with Dame and CJ and Norman Powell. Uh, there's a lot of discussion that Portland will trade CJ McCollum. The Pacers have no interest in acquiring CJ McCollum at $30 million for the next four years, so I don't think that that trade really makes a lot of sense. I love it. I know a lot of you are Blazers fans. I don't think it makes a lot of sense, but boy, howdy, would it be fun. Golden State is the other team that's been rumored a ton. I just don't, I, I played around with the trade machine today, which is obviously not perfect in terms of how to evaluate actual potential trades, but I couldn't figure out a way to really make it work. Uh, first of all, the contracts just don't really line up very well at all. And then for Golden State, they they seem pretty committed to trying to develop James Wiseman to be their big, their, their center. They obviously have Jonathan Kaminga, who's more of a four, but is another player that they're, in theory, kind of hoping to develop alongside. Obviously, Sabonis is more NBA-ready than those guys right now. If this team's trying to contend in this season right now, acquiring Sabonis and giving up those guys would be a way to make this roster better, but I don't think they're going to do it, and I don't see any other way that this trade happens. I just don't see a way that the contracts line up. Golden State's obviously not parting with any of their big three. They're not parting with Andrew Wiggins, so I just don't think a trade really makes sense uh, for that for that team. Unfortunately, a few teams that maybe make some sense: the Spurs. The Spurs would be awesome. Getting to see Sabonis play with Greg Popovich would be incredible. The way that Popovich uh, coached Tim Duncan and turned him into the player that he became, the way that they worked with LaMarcus Aldridge when he was in San Antonio, kind of playing 15 feet away from the basket, facilitating the offense. I mean, the the Spurs ran all of their offense through Tim Duncan. He got the ball early in the shot clock, and they ran actions off of him. They ran screens off of him. They ran backdoor cuts off of him. He turned and faced and tried to score that way. Sabonis would thrive in that setup thrive legitimately he would be outstanding in that role i did not look, take a close look at what San Antonio would have to give up to make this trade happen. I don't know where they're at financially, whether they're willing to to make a splash like this, but it would be a really, really sharp fit to have Sabonis in a San Antonio uniform. And then the Wizards, uh, obviously the Wizards would probably have to trade a Zag back because they have so many of them. Um, obviously, Washington is without Rui Hachimura right now. That, that situation has yet to be cleared up for when he is going to return to the basketball court, hopefully very soon. Kyle Kuzma's been playing fantastic. Montrez Harrell's been playing well. They have dudes, but they have too many players. That's been the reason, like, Corey Kispert hasn't played all that much, and, and maybe consolidating a few of those players and shipping them to Indiana for DeMontis Sabonis would just make them better. Teams are better when they have good players. It's not a secret in the NBA. Having a bunch of average players is not as good as having one really, really good player, and if the Wizards can find a way to make a trade to get DeMontis Sabonis, that would be a great fit there as well a couple other quick updates we're not going to go through everybody today we may do that next week brandon clark is injured it doesn't sound super serious he's missed the last two games with knee soreness uh it's a bummer because he was finally starting to play like brandon clark he was finally the guy that we know that he is memphis seemed to finally realize the way to utilize him properly in the last nine games he's averaging 9.8 points 4.9 rebounds 1.7 steals and 1.1 blocks per game. The report is that he is questionable for Wednesday's game next Wednesday. So hopefully by the time that rolls around, he will be healthy and back in the lineup for Memphis. And then last but not least, Kevin Pangos was sent down to the G League. Uh, he In his G League debut for Cleveland's affiliated team, he had 22 points and 7 assists. This story went around It made the rounds around uh, EuroLeague Twitter, which I don't know how many of you are affiliated with that, but obviously people who are fans of the European League uh, overseas who are unhappy to see a player who they think would have been, you know, one of the best players in the EuroLeague. He had been one of the best players in the EuroLeague the last few years. He came over to the United States to play in the NBA, and now he's in the G League, and they feel like it is toiling away or wasting away a potential MVP candidate for some of the EuroLeague squads is instead, you know, playing in the G League. I can understand why they're frustrated because he used to be over there. However, this is kind of an odd situation. Pangos came to Cleveland with the intention of, he knew he was going to be the third guard. You know, Darius Garland was the starting point guard. Ricky Rubio was the backup point guard. Kevin Pangos was the third string point guard. Cleveland's supposed to be bad. They're supposed to be bad and they're supposed to be looking to deal Ricky Rubio because when bad teams when bad teams are bad they deal their veteran players and get picks or financial relief or young players back in return that's what that's how the NFL does it that's how the NBA does it that's how the MLB does it that's how all professional sports operate so that was kind of the assumption is that uh, Rubio won't be here for very long it'll be great for Kevin to learn from him another European style player you know who's who plays a similar style to Pangos perfect fit he learns from him for a half a year Rubio's gone then he steps into the backup point guard role I think that was kind of the vision at least that's how I saw it playing out I've seen other people who kind of expected that as well but Cleveland's pretty good they're playing well, and Rubio has been playing extremely well. He's having a really, really nice season, which has created a challenge for for Pangos to find playing time. I would rather he play in the G League and put up 22 points and 7 assists because we know he's going to kick ass in the G League because he's really good. I'd rather him do that than toil away on the bench and go four games in a row without playing, play you know 45 seconds in a 32-point blowout and then not play for four games. That is, that's not good for anybody. I'd rather he be in the G League. I know it caught the attention of people who are like, well, he should be back in Europe. I get why he's sticking it out. It's well, He's one injury, one injury away from a bigger role, a trade away from potentially stepping into a bigger role. And more importantly, he's in the NBA. This was his life goal. This is what he wanted to do. He made it. Yeah, it sucks that he's not playing very much. And hopefully that will change. I think that it will. But for right now... He's getting an opportunity to play basketball. He's playing in the G League where he's got more minutes. He's continuing to prove that he deserves to be in the NBA, and his chance will come. It may not be this week. It may not be with Cleveland. It may not be until they make a trade, but his chance will come, and I think that it's he's going to have to just be a little bit more patient, which I know is probably hard for him and his fans, but I think that he's going to get there soon. All right, that is going to do it for today and for this week. The Zags may have a long break coming up, At Locked On Zags powers on. Looking forward to next week, of course, Mailbag, Andy Locks, WCC Wednesday. We got a fun guest joining me for the show as well. And we're going to do something new with one of the episodes as well. All of that right here on the Locked On Zags podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. And, of course, available on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button if you have not already. Thank you again for making this show your first listen of the day. Now is a great time to make your second listen on the Locked on Bets podcast. Locked on Bets is your daily one-stop shop for all of your gambling needs. Locked on Bets is hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. All right. Thank you all for listening and go Zags.